60 years ago, on this Sunday, I walked down the aisle of Lake Worth Baptist Church as an 18-year-old boy and told the church that God had called me to be a preacher. 60 years ago today, I asked them to pray for me, and uh, here I am. And God, to God be the glory. Do you ever get discouraged about the world you've been assigned to live in? It's a discouraging place, isn't it? All the events that happen to us almost on a daily basis are enough to take any encouragement that we feel and just uh, trample it under our feet. I love all the old hymns. Uh, One of my favorite is, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. But when the second verse comes around, I always want to correct it. It starts out like this. Have we trials and temptations? Really? (laughs) Is there trouble anywhere? Everywhere. There's trouble. Here's where I want the correction. We should never be discouraged. I want to change that. We should never stay discouraged. I think discouraged meant is really a part of living in a sin-cursed world, but we should never stay discouraged about this world. God's got a better plan for it. Recently, the little book of Ruth in the Old Testament has given me a renewed encouragement to live in evil days. You can find that book between the book of Judges and the book of Kings. I want you to turn there while I'm talking, if you will. I'll let you do that. It's really a testimony of what God's doing behind the scenes. If you and I will look a little bit closer, we'll see God doing things today that are behind the scenes. J. Vernon McGee called the book of Ruth a mighty midget with a mighty message. Someone else said it's an oasis in a desert. If you found Ruth chapter 1 and you're able to stand, let's read the first five verses as you're standing. And after I read the scripture, I'll have a comment and then I'll pray and then you can be seated. Now, I know that's really unusual because usually when the prayer's over, you know, or the reading's over, everybody sits down. So kind of look around and make sure you're following instructions today. Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. It came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. The name of his two sons was Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. 
and she was left and her two sons. And they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of one was Orpha, and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelled there about ten years. And Malon and Chilion died also, both of them. And the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. If this book ended with chapter 1, verse 5, it'd be a, a very discouraging book. But it's got some good news in it, and we're going to take the time to look at it today. If you'll follow with me as we have the book of Ruth open, I want to preach a message entitled, Things Are Dark and Getting Darker, Be Encouraged. It doesn't sound like it should go together, but... I think today we'll see that it does. Let's pray together. Father, as we've opened your word today, may your Holy Spirit speak clearly, powerfully, in life-changing ways for those of us who find ourselves living in dark times. Thank you for our pastor being able to be here today and pray that you'll bless his recovery. Ask you to bless this meeting today that it might honor our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Things were dark in the time of Ruth because there was national confusion. This book begins by saying that this book the record of it happened during the time of the judges. So that harkens back to the book previous to Ruth. And the Bible says about the time of the judges that there was no king in Israel. It was prior to the inauguration of Saul and David and, and Solomon. There was no king. And as a result of that, there was really no authority in the land, and they were in a constant state of change. Seven times in the book of Judges, they went through seven cycles of correction, where they got out of God's will, began to bow their knee to, to idols, and then they cried out to God when God sent invading nations, and then... And then God heard them and God sent a judge and then they got comfortable and they went back into that circle of judgment seven times in the book of Judges. The nation was in total confusion. I believe you'd realize today if you have any sense of what's going on in America, we're in confusion today. Can you believe it that uh, 63 million Innocent babies have been killed as a woman's health issue. Can you believe it that uh, we now believe that, that there are more genders than two, male and female? Are you kidding? I figured the gender deal out when I was about 10 years old. I started liking girls about that time in my life. I figured if I was going to find one of those, and I did, and married her, and I've been happy about liking girls, my wife, my daughter, my granddaughter. And can you imagine the utter confusion today to believe that a man 
or a woman can change genders by being cut up or drugged up or dressed up. Ladies and gentlemen, we're living in a day of national confusion. These are dark days. These are also dark days because there's moral chaos. The statement that was made again and again in the book of Judges is, every man did that which was right in his own eyes. That's what's happening today, isn't it? Instead of in God we trust, it's leave me alone. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And morality now has dropped probably to the lowest level it's ever been in our country because we've, we've forsaken God, who is the only one who has the right to determine what real right and real wrong is. You see, just because something's permitted or even accepted or maybe even legal doesn't make it right. Because when God gave his evaluation in the book of Judges, not only were they doing what was right in their own eyes, the Bible says they were doing evil in the sight of the Lord. Moral chaos. And then Ruth picks up the narrative now and says that there was also financial collapse. There was a famine in the land. Now, that doesn't mean much to those of us who didn't live in an agricultural world, but a famine was total breakdown. No food for you or for your animals. No jobs, no money. A a famine in the Bible was the worst thing that could happen to those people. A hundred times... The word famine is mentioned in the Bible. And most every time, it's about the judgment of God. The heavens being brass and no longer sending rain. And as a result of that, God was trying to get the attention of the people through their pocketbook and through their stomachs. I think God's doing that right now if we're paying attention. There's an economic collapse that's happened or happening in America. And in this time that Ruth is recorded about, there's a family of four. I think they were probably a good family. Maybe, a, maybe they were a godly family, but they weren't a perfect family. Any perfect families in the building today, you're dismissed. <laughs> Keep your seat. Heard about one old man when preacher said there's nobody perfect. He held his hand up and he said, what do you want to know? He said, well, I want you to know that my wife's first husband was. <laughs> well, there really, aren't any, there really aren't any perfect families, uh, but they were a good family. Elimelech means God is my king. Naomi means pleasant one. Chilion means... Uh, Sickly, and and Malon means sickly, and then Chilion means tired. They were sick and tired. <laughs> what a what a way to approach the world. Here they were, 
a good mom and a dad and two boys. But during this hard time, the family slipped into spiritual compromise. The famine was going on in Bethlehem, Judah. Bethlehem means house of bread. Judah means praise. And they thought they would take the edge off the problem by going and and going down to Moab. You see it there in verse 1? They went to sojourn in the country of Moab. Now Moab was just across the Dead Sea from Bethlehem. You had to go over the top of the Dead Sea and, and over about 50 miles to get there. And they thought life would be better maybe somewhere else that didn't have the problems of the house of bread. They turned one bad situation into another bad situation. They went to live in Moab. If you know anything about your Bible, you know where Moab shows up. Shows up in Genesis 19. And Moab was the son of Lot by Lot's daughter. Lot was Moab's grandfather and father. That was a wicked deal if you can't figure that out. The Bible said that they had served under the king of Moab, Eglon, for 18 years previously during the time of the judges. And yet here this good family, maybe a godly family, makes a spiritual compromise. Moab, what does that mean? Well, the book of Psalms Chapter 60, verse 8, and Psalm 108, verse 9, calls Moab God's washpot. And a washpot in that day was the vessel in which you had water at the door of your house or tent, and you would wash your feet, and it would contain all the dirt and grime of the day. And God says, this is the dirtiest, grimiest place you can go. And yet here God's people are, making a retreat of that. Did you pick up on how all this happened? Look at it in verse 1. And if you mark your Bible, you may want to mark this. They went to sojourn in the country of Moab. Went to sojourn. In other words, they may have just got an Airbnb for a night or two. Amen? Just sojourning. And then it says in the end of verse 2, they continued in the country. They came to the country of Moab and continued there. And lo and behold, at the end of verse 4, they dwelled there about 10 years. Isn't that how life it is? We make a decision we think it's going to be a short one. And before you know it, our whole life has changed. Our whole perspective has changed. And we're in a place where we shouldn't have ever been to start with. Because we left Bethlehem, the house of bread. Something tragic happens while they're in Moab. Elimelech dies. The father dies. The breadwinner dies. Now there was no social security for the family because of the death of Elimelech. They were not only out of place, they were out of God's will. And Elimelech dies in Moab and now Naomi is left with her two sons. 
And then the Bible says later on that those two sons, while they were living in Moab, married two Moabite women, Orpha, not Oprah, Orpha and Ruth. And then the Bible says in verse 5 that Malon and Chilion died. Here a family, a, a prodigal family of four, and three of them now are dead. Three of them are dead. You know what you need to see in these dark days is that anytime there's spiritual compromise, there's personal consequences. Personal. In other words, what the, the things we decide to do are always going to have some effect in some way on our life. Adrian Rogers said this, you're free to choose. You're not, you're free to, you're not free to not choose. You've got to choose. And you're not free to choose the consequences. God allows you to make decisions in life, but you're not free to just kind of in a cavalier way say, well, I'll do what I want to do. Well, you may live with the consequences as well. See, sin will take you farther than you want to go. Sin will keep you longer than you want to stay. Sin will cost you more than you want to pay. One funeral it started out, then there were two weddings, then there are two more funerals, and then finally there are three widows. It's a sad story. I pastored five months short of 50 years, and some of the saddest stories started with just a single move away from God, but ended up in tragedy. I want this to be a warning to everyone that hears me today. Consider carefully the decisions you make in life. I'm glad verse 6 is in the Bible. Because the Bible says in verse 6, talking about Naomi, and then she arose with her daughters-in-laws that she might return from the country of Moab. She says, I'm going home. Look, for she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited His people and given them bread. If you're a child of God, I want to tell you this, no matter how far you are out of God's will, God still puts it in your heart to go back home. God wants you back home. And what's amazing to me is that here they are, three widows, only one believer of them at this time. And somehow God gets word to that one person in Moab to encourage her to go back home. I want to encourage you today, if you're away from God, God hadn't forgot you. Matter of fact, He's got His eye on you, and He sent out a messenger to encourage you. He's a little bald-headed, skinny preacher today to say you can come back home. You can come back home. Amen. Now that amen wasn't a final amen. That was just me knowing good preaching. (laughs) And so Naomi gathers up her two daughters-in-laws. And they begin to make their way home. 
And Naomi somehow stops in the middle of making some movement out of Moab and says to her daughters-in-laws, you need to return back to your own home and your own people in Moab. You've come a little bit of a way, but you don't need to, you don't need, if I were to, if I were to get married right now and have, have uh, some boys, uh, you wouldn't wait for them to grow up before you married them. You just need to go back home. And you know what Arpha did? She said, you know, you're right. And the Bible says she went back to her country and to her gods. If you're not a believing child of God, you're going to stay where you feel like you ought to be. And that's in this old ugly sin cursed world. But when Ruth was given the opportunity to go back to Moab, she said, no, I believe I'm just going to stay with you and let's just let's make the trip together. And look what she says in verse 16. Entreat me not to leave thee, nor return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. And where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. And where thou diest, I will die. And there will I be buried. And the Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. And when she, Naomi, saw that she, Ruth, was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. I'm glad that as bad a believer as Naomi was, she still had enough of a testimony for Ruth to believe in the true and living God. She said, your God's going to be my God. I think that's right where she probably got converted. Do you remember when you got converted? You remember when that time came in your life when you said an everlasting yes to Jesus Christ, what he did for you? That's what Ruth is saying here. I'm, I'm changing religions. I'm changing, changing my belief in God. And look in verse 19. You remember they wanted to leave. Naomi wanted to leave. She was going to return back home. What does it say in verse 19? So they two went until they came. If you have an unction today to get back right with God, you just need to keep doing it until you get there. You need to keep go, keep moving, keep going forward until finally you come to where you came from. Naomi's statement there, when they saw her, they say, Is this Naomi? Is this this pleasant one? And she said, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara. That means bitter. For the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. But I want you to see that phrase, He brought me home. Don't worry about how, what happens. No, don't worry about the consequences that you're facing because of your bad decision. If you want to come home, you need to come home. Even if, even if you come home empty, it's better to be home empty than it is to be full out of God's will. Thank God Naomi came home and the Lord brought her home. So verse 22 says, So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, which returned out of the country of Moab. Amen. That'd be a good place to stop the sermon, but I've got three more chapters to go. (laughs) And you're all nervous, I can tell right now. You've been around Baptist preachers and know that you're in trouble. But I'm going to do this with the fastest. 
we may build a memorial out in front of Metropolitan Baptist Church. The preacher got through on time. Amen. <laughs> Maybe the first time. Who knows? There's a final heading that I have in my notes. I'm not referring to many of them today, just for you. After all this has happened, here's the, here's the major heading. We need to see the divine connection. God's been doing something all along the way because He's a good God. And He brought about some immediate good to these two ladies. And then He would bring about some eternal good for us. Now let's just talk just a minute about these this immediate good. These ladies, these two ladies, made a 50-mile trip by themselves from Moab to Bethlehem and got there safe and sound because God gave them protection. God is good, isn't He? And then the last phrase of the last verse in chapter 1, I want to highlight for you. They came to Bethlehem in the beginning of barley harvest. There's already a harvest now. They're not in famine. They're now getting ready to, to make a harvest of this barley field. Because the second thing is, God's going to take care of the need of everyone who walks with Him. I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. Isn't God good? God is good to take care of our needs. And here these two ladies did, didn't have any kind of economic safety net to catch them and to help them. They were the poorest of poorest now because their husbands were dead. And yet God was going to prepare for them because this was the time of harvest. Now, in chapter 2 and 3 and 4, we're going to just work through a few of these details without having to get in too deep. But what the neat thing is that God put Ruth into the field of a man by the name of Boaz. Let me have an amen if you've heard of him. Amen. Boaz. God put Ruth into a field that was owned by a wealthy bachelor by the name of Boaz. And he liked what he saw. Matter of fact, he told his workers, don't lay a hand on her. You keep her safe. And he told her, anything you need, you have, you have anything you need there, it'll be, it'll be provided for you. So there's, there's, there's protection. There's the providence of God. God put her right there. And then after she saw Boaz, she started liking what she saw. And, and if, you, if you read chapters 2 and 3... Ruth comes back after working in Boaz's field and she's got a lap full of barley. And Naomi says, where did you get that? She said, well, I worked in the field of a, of a man that was kind to me. And, well, well, who was he? Well, he was Boaz. And Naomi becomes Pentecostal at that moment. <laughs> I mean, she gets happy and she says, bless the Lord. He is a, he's a kins, kinsman to to Elimelech. He's a relative of my husband. 
And that's going to be an important part of this story. And so she gets happy and says, don't mess this up. And then chapter 3, uh, she's out in the field and, and she's trying to figure out, now how am I going to get close to this guy? And, and don't try this at home, okay? This is one of those deals, there's this disclaimer. Because it, it's different now than then. But, but Naomi advises her of what to do. And believe it or not, she's supposed to go sleep at his feet and ask for the covers of his feet to be over her. I'm telling this is totally weird to me, but I'm, I'm telling you, I'm telling you it's of God. And uh, out of all of that, the story kind of proceeds until you get to chapter 4. The maid of Moab marries the bachelor of Bethlehem. And really when you read this story, the woman is the one that initiated the proposal of marriage. If, you, if there are any single girls here today, it's all on you, my friend. <laughs> Heard about three girls that were praying, and they were college girls, and one of them prayed, Dear God, give us loving hearts. And the next one prayed, God, give us pure hearts. And then the third one prayed, Lord, give us sweethearts. <laughs> and all the girls said, Amen. There are things you just don't explain out of this passage. But within a year's time, we're doing okay on time as well. In a year's time, Naomi and Ruth's life has gotten back to right. You know, if you'll come back home, God will straighten out your life quicker than you can believe if you'll just come back. And in the case here, they marry... I'm talking about Boaz and Ruth. They marry, and they have a baby. And by the way, they have it in that order. They, they get married, and then they have babies. That's, that's a God thing, if you don't know it. And they have a baby by the name of Obed. You can read this in chapter 4. Obed means worshiper. They had a godly marriage. And then Obed had a son by the name of Jesse. My granddad's name was Jesse. And then Jesse got married and had a baby, and his name was David. Amen. And you read Matthew chapter 1, you find out that that's where Jesus was going to come from. He was going to come through the life of David. God not only took care of immediate good for these ladies, he took care of eternal good by sending us a Savior through Ruth and Boaz. The greatest concern you need to have in your life is you need a Savior. And Jesus is the Savior. This whole book's about Him. And this little book of Ruth kind of moved real fast as we got to it today to let you know that God's been thinking about you from eternity. Isn't God good? I'm humbled about how good He is. Because the law had excluded Ruth. The Bible says in Deuteronomy that no Moabite could ascend to the tabernacle, to the temple of God, to the tenth generation. 
But while the law had excluded her, grace had included her. And grace will include you today. If you'll trust Christ and what he did for you by dying for you on the cross, he'll receive you. You'll You'll never meet the requirements of the law. But God will save you by his grace if you'll trust him. So my appeal to you today is if you're lost, you've never received Christ, that you'd know that God's, God's gone through great, great cost for you to be saved today. And if you are saved, like most of us, we're repeat offenders. We fail and get away from God. But if you'll come back to Him, He'll receive you. And your life will be changed, and it will be in a changing mode for the rest of your life. Well, here we are. Things are dark, getting darker, but be encouraged. Be encouraged. Stand with me quietly for prayer, please. We'll have an invitation song in just a moment. If there's a need in your life that can be met by coming today, if you're not saved, would you trust Christ and then publicly profess your faith in Him? If you are saved and been out of God's will, would you... Make a step to humble yourself and go ahead and get out of Moab while you can. Father, bless your word today. Thank you for your goodness to us to give us a clear thought today to help folks to see in your word that you're a loving, great, and good, and gracious God. And uh, I'm just praying that you'll use your word for your own glory today. In Jesus' name, amen. While we're singing this invitation. You could come today publicly. There'll be someone here with me to be able to help you today while we sing together. for me as I finish preparing my heart to preach. I know what I need to preach. We'll see how God wants to work that in our lives today. And I appreciate the fellowship and friendship of this church through the years. I personally congratulate you and give glory to God for a hundred years. I do want to tell you that we were the first ones in Lake Worth though. We're 86 years old now. 
and uh, we started on Hodgkins Creek down there off of Hodgkins Road. Met in the first school building of the Lake Worth School building. They gave it to the church. And uh, then we moved it up on top of the hill there in 1940 or so. And I know that you guys used to be in Northside, but y'all got out of there as quick as you could, right? <laughs> but uh, sure glad to celebrate with you. And uh, we've uh, partnered with you and your missionaries for years. And thank you for, for your work together. There's plenty of, plenty of space for all of us to do God's will here in this place. So thank you. Brother John, are you supposed to conclude with prayer, or are you just going to stand up there and look handsome? Well, I thank you, sir. Yes, we'll have a word of prayer, and then we'll be dismissed. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your goodness to us, Lord. Thank you for Brother Jerry uh, preaching this morning. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to be encouraged, Lord. Thank you for the the account of Ruth and Boaz and um, the, the blessing that... Uh, that you were being from that lineage, Lord, and thank you how you've used them. Lord, I pray that you'll uh, be with us today, bring us safely back tonight to uh, hear your word again and have your perfect will. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.